Uh, maybe I'll uh, quickly swallow down a banana whilst we're playing this next track. You're listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down, track by track. Justified, I'm not sure, but ancient, certainly feeling like it. And on the turntable this week, we've got The White Room by the KLF. Oh, Dan, I am giddy with excitement this week uh, about this episode, talking about the KLF on Track by Track. It's crazy, isn't it? Some of the twists and turns we take with the artists that we talk about on here. And, uh, you know, one week it's Steps, the next week it's uh, Guns N' Roses, the next week it's the KLF. I must have been away for that Guns N' Roses record. (laughs) Played with my own Guns N' Roses. (laughs) Your rosebud. So we're going to talk about the KLF this week. And first of all, just I'm just going to say up front, this, uh, as excited as I am, this is also, there's a lot to talk about in this episode. And I love KLF's music, but I might not be the world's biggest expert. So we are going to do our best to recount the, the detailed and chequered history of the KLF and their many forms uh, and guises and musical exploits. Dan, what's your knowledge of, of them? Well, quite limited, to be honest with you. Well, of course I know about the KLF, and I know, you know, songs like Justified and Ancient and 3AM Eternal, they are just, you know, part of my history, I suppose. I remember hearing them songs when I was younger. Uh, I know they've got this incredible, chaotic history, which, you know, I, I've I've read about it before. I've done my research for this episode. I think I've not even scratched the surface. But I also know that they're highly respected from the likes of... Uh, Pop Justice, for example, who, of course, we're both big fans of as well. So I just, you know, it feels like they're a very important act. uh, And so rightfully, they should have the treatment uh, of being featured on Track by Track. Uh, And yes, I think they've got a very significant piece of the pop puzzle of the last however many years, 30, 40 years uh, in the UK and, and beyond. They are a Scottish duo, first and foremost. Uh, so you've got Bill Drummond uh, and Jimmy Corty, who have backgrounds in the music industry, um, mainly for Bill and Jimmy, who's a musician, but also uh, an artist. And I think music and art and music as art and art itself, uh, in its own right, are definitely things as the KLF they've, they've been very heavily guided by. You know, the, the song as a political statement... Uh, to make a statement and to physically do things to disrupt the music industry uh, and society are things they've actively engaged in over the years. Uh, and they've gone through a few different incarnations uh, and have been known as, as many different names over the years. So uh, they started out life as the Justified Ancients of Moomoo, uh, the Jams, also the Time Lords, K Foundation and the KLF as well. Uh, Dan, do you know the significance of the Justified Ancients of Mumu? Because they do reference that a lot in their music as well. I knew they went by that name previously. I believe, if I'm uh, not mistaken, it's some sort of, um, I want to say like tribal almost history. But uh, please do enlighten me. I might be just making things up as I often like to do. 
So it's actually uh, taken from that name as a group, as a movement, it's taken from um, uh, a book uh, or novels, a series of novels called the Illuminatus Trilogy. And I guess it covers, it's quite a kind of dystopian, conspiratorial series of novels. Uh, I've been reading up a lot recently about them. I haven't read the novels myself, but they sound quite uh, unbelievable and quite, um, quite fantastical. So I would definitely say if you want to learn a little bit more about that to go uh, and dive into the Illuminatus trilogy. But I guess the themes and things that they that's covered in those novels are things that uh, the KLF are very no were very known for: discordianism, dystopianism, disruptiveness, um, and themes like counterculture and numerology as well. Uh, and it's interesting, isn't it, that that kind of apocalyptic dystopian world that I think you'll find in those books uh, is something that forms the imagery and the videography of a lot of their work as well, as well as these huge soundscapes, uh, which at the time, I remember I was very young at the time, which just absolutely blew my mind. I'd not heard anything like it. Sorry, well, the connection just cut out just as you asked me if I knew about uh, the Just Financial and Moomoo. Can you just repeat that last thing you said, please? Oh, for <laughs> fuck's sake. I am joking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, I am I'm drawn, of course, as I said, I've been reading about it this week, of course, been doing all my research, very professional. But, you know, the way you've just described it then, it is, it's, there's so much to, uh, so much more to learn about them. And I think you said something really uh, interesting about, just before we press record um about how we really enjoy it when we do put an episode out and then listeners get in touch with us on social media and say you know add to the story or maybe correct us you know we we don't mind being corrected sometimes <laughs> um but after this episode do you know do get in touch let us know you know if you know more if you've got more pieces to the puzzle um because it is such a rich tapestry to this duo and we are only going to scratch the surface today in the confines of the episode and talking about the white room. But I will just zip back a little bit to uh, kind of the beginning. So we're looking around 1987 uh, when the KLF or the Justified Ancients of Mumu were formed for the first time. The first single, I think, is a brilliant example of their approach to music. Um, and it's a lot around this feeling that they've got something to say. Um, but they want to use modern technology to do it uh, heavily sampling. It's something that they've done a lot of through their career. And I just want to play a little bit, first of all, Dan, as a kind of pre-tease, pre pre-warmer. <laughs> pre this is the first song that they released, and it's called All You Need Is Love. Here's a little, here's a little song. Will samples in there that immediately jump out uh most obvious but there's a lot more in there uh samantha fox did you hear her i did hear touch her. me touch me sorry is that uh 
No, that's not an invitation. That's just a sample. Also, uh, there is some sampling from, uh, and this is very relevant actually because we've been talking a lot to each other about it recently. But uh, if you watched It's a Sin recently, they showed the the AIDS public information advert on the TV, uh, and there's a sample of John Hurt's uh, words from that advert in here because this. Again, this as their first single, they are talking about the response, the response in the media to the AIDS crisis as it first developed. So, but they're doing it using, uh, you know, the modern pop sounds of the time, the beats, uh, the synths, samples. You've also got, um, I believe it was really turned down and, and ramped down, but a bit of the Beatles in there as well. I mean, sampling the Beatles on your first track, you've got to have some 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 wits about you to do that, I think, haven't you? Uh, and then putting the Beatles and Samantha Fox together. I mean, I'm sure some people would say, you know, Samantha Fox is a, a bigger influence on the pop landscape than the Beatles. Uh, I know I'm particularly a big fan of her brackets in songs. She quite often uses them. Uh, also, notably on this first album, there was a song that actually got the album withdrew, withdrawn, uh, withdrawn, <laughs> uh, because it featured an ABBA sample and they weren't having any of it. Uh, so let's just share a little intro to the album proper. That's kind of where they came from. But this is actually The White Room is the fourth and last album. Uh, that the KLF uh, recorded. And this was released in March 1991. But Dan, I'm sure, obviously we've got some further listening and I'm sure we might try and squeeze a few other gems in through it. And before you even ask me, Will, we are talking about the album this week because on Thursday it turns 30 years old. And also famously in 1992 deleted their back catalogue, which is often talked about as it because it's just unheard of. Uh, but they've now, just this year, st- as of the 1st of January, start re-uploading it on streaming services. And it's going to be a five-part series of compilations. And we've already had the first two. Uh, Solid State, Logic One and Come Down Dawn uh, have come out so far. So you can listen to some, but not all, of the tracks that we're going to be talking about today on streaming services for the first time. <laughs> So side one, track one, this is what time is love. So that was What Time Is Love there, the LP mix. This track has had many different versions, re-recordings, re-dubs, remixes, And I would say this is probably one of their signature motifs that has kind of of lived through their various albums and incarnations in different forms. And I have to admit, Will, when the song first started, when I was listening to this album for the first time a couple of weeks ago, I thought, I've got the wrong... I've got the wrong album here. I've got the wrong artist here because that first minute and a half where it's just sort of the bass and the harmonies, I, I just thought, no, this this can't be KLF because as I said before, I only really knew the hits. So it was like a brand new thing. And then all of a sudden, around 90 seconds in, it kicks off, of course. And it was, I felt like I'd just been 
sucked into a, like a grainy television set showing a 90s rave or something like that it was just instantly so it just it just sounded like when it was made and where it was made for it is it's just i know i could close my eyes then and just picture that rave and i wish you know a lot of kind of that kind of culture and style has come back in again as well and i'd love to see and hear more of this music in the charts there's one group that i feel have kind of and I'm sure they would cite the Care as an influence. Uh, and we were big fans of last year. Uh, and we still are now. It didn't stop last year. <laughs> uh, Working Men's Club. I think in some of their songs on that first, on their debut album, they do have a touch of this kind of rave, almost like art rave sound. Yeah. Which would just feel and boom out over across the dystopian warehouses in the middle of nowhere with smoke machines and strobe lights and many pills to be popped. Oh, heaven. I'm thinking Printworks, Will. It sounds wonderful there. Either of these two oh. bands. Oh, yeah. Imagine this in a really industrial setting. Or maybe futuristic. And slightly medieval as well, actually. Also, Will, just mm. on the pills, uh, don't take drugs. But free choice. So this is... There are at least seven to ten, I reckon, versions of this track are known about anyway but probably more as well this got to number four as a single so actually commercially successful yeah which you wouldn't always put that kind of you know you talked before about how they fused art with music and how they were quite well anti-music uh, industry in many respects but yeah clearly people liked what they were doing because yeah number four and of course we're going to get to Potentially some even better chart positions later on. Also, uh, Smash Hits reviewed it back in the day. The digital spy of its time. They described it as an unbelievable power pop anthem with mental guitars and wall of sound shrieks. So far over the top, they're binging around the sun and never coming back. that, That line, that quote itself is just amazing. Preposterous. Yeah. And I love the wall of sound in there because... I don't think I would have used that term to describe it, but of course it's it's got that wall of sound thing going on, which is wonderful. I really like the breaks in it as well. It's kind of, it's not a constant. It's got these little elements and different sections and it takes breaks before getting to the next one. Yeah, I think it's uh, a great, I don't think you said they set out their stall, um, but I think they did. Uh, one of the most notable alternative versions of reworkings was America, What Time Is Love, which was a lot more guitar-y and I would say probably a little bit more america friendly because this is very this is very bold but i think at the time also a very british kind of rave up track two now uh and dan let's make it rain So Make It Rain there, track two. I like how we're going into something very different once again. This is a much more atmospheric track. It's not like the hard-hitting What Time Is Love. And also, of course, this is an album track as well. And you kind of 
you wouldn't expect the KLF to do single one, track one, single two, track two. They're not that kind oh, of... Oh, God. Good God, no. Bubblegum pop act. No. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but not. it's not the KLF's style, I don't think. This is a wonderful. I just love the synth running through this. It's so... It does continue that kind of dystopian feel to it. You've got uh, Maxine Harvey on vocals there. But I just love the... Wah, 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 <laughs> as well as the beat running through it as well. Uh, this is another track that's had numerous different ver- versions. But it's so hard, Dan, and I just probably can't stress this enough, to keep tabs on all the different versions, releases, formats, demos, that a lot of these tracks, and probably all the tracks we're going to talk about on The White Room today, have had over the years as well. And part of the joy is the rabbit holes you can disappear down. Burrowing through like YouTube, uh, and various different websites and online archives to, 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 to find out some of it. So like if you've never listened to this a lot of this stuff before, Hopefully you will hear it's a great pop album, which is why we're talking about it today. But it will encourage you to go and discover more because there's so much out there. It's just not on streaming services. But doesn't it just because it's not on streaming services doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Exactly. Do some research, for goodness sake. What would you have done before the internet? Will, do you think this is the most complex sort of history of an act that we've ever talked about on Track by Track? Oh god yeah and I'm just trying so I'm trying so much to do it justice and to try and kind of make sure we're factually in line as well as just celebrating and enjoying a great pop album which is obviously what we do here on track by track So track 3 this is 3AM Eternal live at the SSL KLF is going to rock you Eternal won again one of their biggest known hits. It was a number one single as well, so a very, very commercially successful track as well. Yeah, and it just I mean, I haven't listened to this song for years to be honest with you, but again, like with well, with track one, I didn't recognize it so much, but I was kind of transported somewhere with this one. It just took me, I just had all these memories that I didn't even know I had, and I was, I was quite young when this came out, I was like six or something like that, but I just remembered. I really remember this one being on uh, the jukebox in some of the local pubs that we go to at the time. Uh, probably had a little boogie to it. I can definitely remember them on top of the pops uh, performing this one uh, and literally filling the whole stage with uh, contraptions and uh, performers uh, and themselves. Because you've got, as well as Maxine on vocals, you've also got Ricardo De Force, who, Dan, you'll probably be familiar with because of his work with Entran. Everybody in the house, come on. Oh, entrance are let's get them on the long list. <laughs> Underrated. <laughs> uh, there's a good there, they did a they got a couple of good albums that are very much of this time. Uh, and also Enix used to talk about Kelly Lorena. Oh my god, and the legendary her, her lungs are incredible, and I'm not talking about her breasts, I mean her. <laughs> 
powerful voice which comes deep inside her. Anyway, that's all for another day. What? Sorry, broke up again. What comes deep inside her? Her her voice. <laughs> you dirty booger. Dirty dog. So this, the SSL, live the SSL version, this was uh, reworked for a commercial pop audience. Uh, again, there are probably about 15 at least versions of this song in existence. I'm sure way more, but that, that are known about. And live at the SSL, that is actually Solid State Logic mixing desk. It's, it's not the uh, uh, Scottish... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> city. Oh no, city's a C, isn't it? <laughs> I just assumed when I saw the title, I, I assumed, as I'm sure many did, that it was a live recording. And I also thought, well, I know this song, but I never thought it was a live version. But of course, they throw all that live crowd noise into it, don't they? And I did read that it's actually from a Haircut 100 gig, which just kind of already nothing is surprising me with the KLF. But of all the acts to put in there, I wouldn't have thought uh, Haircut 100 would have been. Uh, one that they would pick not to not to take away from haircut 100 i love their album i can't remember what it's called but i love their uh first album uh suffice to say this was a as well as being a big number one hit record this was also critically acclaimed by the likes of enemy uh, and the guardian uh and the mirror who all uh, at the time raved about it uh, if you'll pardon the pardon the pun if that <laughs> even is a pun probably not Probably not, but I won't pardon it either. So the band are also known for their uh, exploits, I guess you could say, as well as the music, which was brilliant, which is experimental, which was uh, political. And they were known for some big uh, antics, famously rumoured to have burnt a million quid, uh, firing machine guns at the Brits. When the Brits were iconic. You hear those stories and it's like Michael Jackson, Jarvis Cocker and Sam Fox. Oh, Sam Fox again and Mick Fleetwood. Um, the Brits really were. In fact, what's happening with the Brits this year? Oh, no. what's What happened at the Brits this year? <laughs> Answers on a postcard from the future or the past, please. Uh, also, Dan, uh, this is a great point. Uh, they did venture into a, a few more commercially produced songs with the sole purpose of them creating number one hit records uh, whether that was for the money or because they felt like they knew what the secret formula was to get a number one record one of the ones and we're going to say for further listening because it's a bloody classic but another one to mention uh, is uh, under the guise of the time lords uh, and if we talk about how they sampled music this is probably one of their most well-known samples and I'd love, Dan, just for a little musical diversion now, uh, to play a little bit of Doctor in the Tardis. So, Dan, what did you hear in there? I heard the iconic Doctor Who theme music. Um, and I heard a lot of chanting as well. Well, the chanting uh, you might have heard, you've got a bit of uh, rock and roll by Gator. 
Oh dear. Sorry. Uh, and a blockbuster by Sweet as well in there. This was recorded as a deliberate act to write a number one hit single. Off the back of it, they released a book as well called How to Have a Number One the Easy Way. Using the uh, considerable proceeds of the success of this single, they used it to uh, then fund some of their more uh, personal passion work, which I believe was going was going on a trip, on a road trip, um, which was a lot of the inspiration behind the White Room album. Yes, it was going to be a film to, to accompany the album, wasn't there? And it just didn't pan mm. out. And I can't help but think, Will, and I'm sure this is not... I'm sure I shouldn't be thinking logically when I'm thinking about the KLF and their career, but I can't help but think if they hadn't burnt a million pounds, perhaps they could have funded some of these other projects. But far be it from me to cast any aspersions. Certainly not on wasting money because I'm not great with it. Well, I think they did that after okay. uh, this ca- this case. They, they did their project. Uh, but also, this is a number one. And true to form, there are at least probably more than eight versions of this track uh, knocking about in places. And Will, I'm sure you wouldn't mind me saying you're a Doctor Who fan. What are your personal memories of this song? Was you a fan of the show at the time and then you heard the song or or did the song get you into the show? No, absolutely not. I, this was definitely uh, a bit of a novelty song at the time. Again, it was intended to be so, uh, but I didn't really make the connection. And I don't think at the time obviously much younger, that I realised who was behind this song. Yeah. Or probably even cared, probably even cared, to be honest. Were they behind that Star trek song as well? No. Oh. Let's get back on to uh, track four now, uh, and Church of the KLF. Take me, aha, take me, aha, aha, take me, aha, take me, aha, aha. Take me to the church of the KLF. Take me to the church of the KLF. So, Dan, I love how we go from like these huge rave ups to something a little bit more downplayed just in the sequencing of this album. And I think, take me to the church of the KLF. They've got a new religion. It's the latest on the block. A faith you can be sure of. It's built on solid rock. This is just extending that mythology uh, of the justified ancients of Mumu and it being very much cultish. Uh, it's slightly futuristic as well. And it's very dreamy, actually, this track. Yeah, I like it. And it's also it's quite a short little number, isn't it, as well? So it's kind of uh, feels like a little interlude between the last banger and then whatever comes next as well. Um yeah, it's great. It's, like you said, it's atmospheric. There were a couple of times, actually, when I thought the singer was going to go into Loving You by Minnie Ripperton. And again, that would not have surprised me with the KLF. I wouldn't have been thrown at all with that. Oh, and Minnie, if you're listening, Happy she's New dead. Year. She's dead. Well, let's crack straight into the next one then, because this is huge. And it's smack bang in the middle of the album, isn't it? Here we go. Track five. The Last Train to Transcend. Yeah. 
So that was the last train to Transcentral. Dan, would you like to board the last train to Transcentral? Absolutely. I mean, you know me, I'm a massive fan of trains in general, but also train TV shows. I've got about five on series link at the minute, mainly from Channel 5. Basically anything with Michael Bortillo's name on it and I'll watch it. Um, What a fun character he is. But yeah, so I was instantly drawn to this song. Uh, Initially, I was thinking, is it going to be a reworking of Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees? Uh, who should be on the long list. Yeah, really, really like this song. This might be my favourite song on the album, actually. Uh, and Transcentral is the home of KLF, spiritual home of the KLF, probably located uh, on the lost continent of Mu. Uh, again, another link to the Illuminatus uh, novels there as well. But just continuing the mythology and that real escapism... Um, but I'd imagine being off your rocker uh, in a warehouse somewhere in the Wiltshire countryside uh, with this song blaring. That'd be absolute heaven. Also, the bit for me that really does it, I was enjoying it anyway, but when those strings come in, it just completely changes the whole thing. And weirdly, I was getting real hints of Bridgerton. I don't know if you've seen that, Will. Um, they do a lot of contemporary string reworkings it sounded like it could have come straight from there i have a feeling dan that bill and jimmy would be disgusted at that comparison (laughs) (laughs) good that's very klf so good i'm pleased also uh transcentral was the name of the klf recording studio which was in stockwell in south london just down the just down the road from where i used to live in the olden days but i haven't talked about the music have i uh what a (laughs) huge huge track that is uh, and my one of my favourite KLF tracks. Oh, I'm glad we're on the same page with that one then. Because, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Had to, One of those where, when I listened to it the, for the first time, well, I listened to the album for the first time, and then this is the song I had to go back to, to first to play again. Uh, and also the name, the, the place Transcentral, is another ongoing uh, theme through a lot of their work. So similar to, like, What Time Is Love, this track... Um, justified and ancient these are all things that kind of just continue to to bleed into uh, and to move through a lot of their work and again i'm going to sound like a broken record this track had umpteen different versions reworkings re-recordings i would say probably at least 10 known of of this track as well over the years uh this got to a single number two in the singles chart so again huge epic rave up but also commercially really successful wow i didn't realize it was so successful as a single it surprises me then that i don't remember hearing this one before but i suppose maybe it's because the other singles were so huge uh oh certainly um 3am was so huge that um you know this 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 was a big hit but just didn't live up to that should we move on uh yes let's move on track number six build a fire there will we talked before about how this album was supposed to accompany a film of the same name a bit of a road trip movie and for me this is the song that feels most 
sort of soundtrack like i could well imagine I, I, if i close my eyes i can almost see the scenes uh fitting with this music it's beautiful but i was getting real sort of twin peaks david lynch vibes from this one yeah it's the yeah and i i thought well they like as soon as i heard it i straight away i thought well they must have been influenced by twin peaks but then i obviously twin peaks only came out a year before this and they would have been writing and recording material you know, within the year or so before this. So I'm not entirely sure that is the case. I, perhaps it's 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 not influence. It's just coincidence that that was a, a sound at the time. Or or do you think it was influence? No, I think I think more coincidence. Uh, are you a Twin Peaks fan, Will? Do you know, I've never seen uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, but Samantha Fox... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lovely meringue. I, I've only seen season one of Twin Peaks, so I've got obviously the... Uh, original ser- series two. I'm, I'm flick- flicking between season and series. Uh, the original second one, and then the more recent third one, and the films in the middle as well. So I really do need to pull my finger out. I forgot to say, what a great time to have got a fantastic album artwork. Oh, I do enjoy this track, and again, the guitars really twang at my at myself. <laughs> you know, they get you in the get you in the gut, don't they? Very emotive. But this is the perfect opportunity to talk about the artwork. So you've got a white room, two speakers, uh, what looks like uh, like hazard tape uh, in between, in the middle of each of the speakers. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. It's as simple as that. The tape reminds me of, uh, this makes me think of that Lady Gaga look, you know, when she just wore tape. And I'm sure KLF wouldn't mind me comparing them to Lady Gaga. Well, I'm sure uh, Lady Gaga would uh, be a fan. Yeah. And just on this one, before we move on from it, if indeed we're going to now, there is some wonderful pedal steel, and I don't think I've ever said that before on any track, uh, from Evil Graham Lee. Uh, I wonder what he did to get that reputation. Yeah. So track number seven now, The Fight Room. White Room there, title track from the album. I just love the kind of pro- more progressive, breakbeaty sound running through that, particularly as there's some much bigger stuff still to come on the album. Yeah, definitely one of the more atmospheric uh, sounds, but still really heavy with the bass bouncing along there and there's some lovely, quite icy synths gliding through that one, which I thought were particularly lovely. I was really thrown off at the start, though, because I thought that spoken word, I thought that was Chris Martin from Coldplay at the beginning. Oh, no, he'd just been a wee kid. Wee mm. kiddie when this came out. A wee bairn. And a very dull one at that. <laughs> now, Will, on this one as well, you have got Black Steel doing some scat. You're quite a big fan of scat, aren't you? Scat, I'm a scat man. Scat, 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 Glossing over that disgusting reference, Dan. You want to invite me to a scat party, but awful, absolutely disgusting. Uh, And you wouldn't certainly want that in the white room, would you? (laughs) (laughs) 
So track number eight now. No more tears. love about KLF is obviously they've got their rave uh, dance roots but they love experimenting and trying other things out as well so you've got you know the white room was a bit had a breakbeat running through it this is a bit more almost reggae yeah I definitely would agree with that and I think the um, the the lyrics at the beginning go with that as well sunlight on a winter's day and it just feels uplifting and soulful I would I'd 100% agree with you there and this is almost 10 minutes long, isn't it? So this is the real epic of the album. Uh, but I suppose it's not kind of, it's not the epic sounding song. There's been more epic sounds before, but just in terms of length and content, it feels like a, a really a big piece of work. <laughs> you big piece of work. You piece of work. Uh, I think this is why as well, The White Room is one of the most well-loved KLF albums because it is so diverse You've got some huge hit singles on there. You've got some tracks that are very different as well. Uh, interesting fact, this was named by Q Magazine as the 89th best British album of all time. Wow. I want to see that list now. I want to see where, you know, what's above it, what's below it. But I love hearing something like this and thinking, not even just thinking, realising how the KLF have influenced other acts that I didn't realise. Because, I, again, I didn't really know how how different their sound could be. I just knew the singles. So hearing something like this, I was really um, reminded of Gorilla's Plastic Beach album. Um, and, and I don't know if that is an obvious influence, but I definitely picked up on some of those some of those sounds, some of those uh, influences, I suppose, as well. So we're on to the last track of the album proper, or this version of the album proper. It's only track nine, but it feels like we've been talking for way longer today because there's been so much to try and get in. So sorry. But we're going out on a real high with Justified and Ancients. They're justified and they're ancient. I hope you understand. They don't want to upset the apple cart. And they don't want to cause any harm. But if you don't like what they're going to do, you better not. So Justified and Ancient there. Dan, probably not the version you were expecting to hear. Certainly not, Will. Yeah, I, I again, I thought, have I got the right version of the album? Um, much more subdued, but a lovely way to finish the album. And really nice that it kind of it bookends the album as well, because that uh, Justified and Ancient sample was used right at the beginning as well, wasn't it? Yeah, so there are, again, a lot of the lyrics and the, the themes running through this track are recurring through a lot of... Uh, the KLF's work and different incarnations. Uh, obviously, the version that was a big hit single was Justified Ancient Stand by the Jams uh, with Tammy Wynette uh, providing vocals. And that was that version was a huge hit. Let's hear a little bit of that because I know it's... We want to hear Tammy. We want to hear Tammy. Tammy, love. Tammy, pack. See 
Tammy Wynette famously said uh, that Moo Moo Land sounds like a much more interesting place than Tennessee. Oh, I, th- I think Tennessee sounds quite interesting. But I've not been. Maybe it's really boring. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but I think it's a, it's a great way to end the album, even in its uh, in a different form as it is here. Definitely. And that wind sound effect, it just kind of adds to the atmosphere. It adds to this idea that you know this could have been accompanying a film. And I, I found it very interesting to see that on the US version, uh, this song had extra wind on it. But this is a country who voted wonder... in Trump, so I suppose... So, Dan, uh, interesting to know, uh, after 23 years away, uh, in uh, 2017, the Justified Ages of Moo came back, uh, launched a novel, uh, and talked about, amongst other things, creating a people's pyramid containing uh, bricks, uh, with 20, each containing 23 grams of human ashes. And they actually went on the BBC talking about this to say how this is serious. This is for real. This was happening. Uh, so that marks their return back into popular culture, I guess. Not so much the music world, but popular culture. But just this year now, they're back remastered and releasing five compilations on streaming services. Will we get the KLF headlining Glastonbury 2022? Not on your Nelly. What a lovely thought, though. I'll go to sleep with that. Just a word before we get on to uh, further listening. Uh, album performance. So this got to number three in the album charts. Uh, so big, again, as with many of the singles off this, a big commercial hit. Critically acclaimed, claimed, put my teeth back in, critically acclaimed this album as well. So the likes of Q and Rolling Stone giving it four out of five but with huge plaudits uh, from across the music industry. Also, it's um, as well as the Q uh, 89th Best British Album of All Time, it's also in the book uh, of albums to listen to before you die. And we have. We have, and I'm so glad. You know, this has reopened my whole world up to loads of other great KLF music, of which we're going to touch on now with further listening. And Dan, I'm going to kick off. Oh. Okay. I'm going to kick off with uh, a track. This is another track that was created upon to, with the specific aim of getting a number one single and raising money towards the uh, film for the soundtrack to the White Room album. So this was whipped up really quickly, levering every possible hook and influence possible to get to number one in the charts. So this was released in 1989 and it's called Kylie Said to Jason. was kindly said to Jason this is my favorite KLF song and I I'm not even sorry (laughs) well you shouldn't be actually this was obviously designed to be a number one record to to make loads of money so to fund their other work it was a flop so didn't do that 
but you can really see what they were doing here. It does sound very Pet Shop Boys-esque. Uh, and the boys from KLF uh, were openly fans of Pet Shop Boys. Uh, and you could call this a bit of an homage to it. But the references as well to like Kylie and Jason from Neighbours, Todd Terry, The Good Life, Some Mothers Do Have, you know, re just very much designed to appeal commercially. So hooky as well. So hooky. Will, would you call this in any way, shape or form a novelty song? I would call it a mainstream pop song. And I would, but for the KLF, that would almost be a novelty song. Hmm. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. It's the first time I've ever heard it, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. The, the Pet Shop Boys likeness, you know, it's very obvious. It's, I don't know if it's Left to My Own Devices or West End Girls or maybe a mix of the two, but it's very, the delivery is very Neil Tennant on those. But yeah, it was just, you know, pure synth pop. Yeah, and a, there's a brilliant synth running through it as well, I meant to say, uh, which is, uh, 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 doesn't even do it justice. <laughs> Ignore me. Uh, there are more than 10, at least 10 versions of this track uh, around, true to form. So it may have been designed to be chart-friendly, crowd-pleaser, but still very much uh, in keeping with what they like to do. All but impossible to find a uh, a copy of this on eBay, on anywhere, uh, and it's not on streaming services at the moment, if only. But I'm sure it will be on one of the compilations that's still due to come out. Well, how sure are you on that? Just out of interest, on a scale of one to a hundred. Uh, two. <laughs> Dan, what have you gone for? So I have gone for KLF as 2K. And this is, pod my French here, Fuck the Millennium. <laughs> Hey there, Fuck the Millennium. This was actually released in 1997. So this, following the uh, KLF's breakup or retirement in 1992, this is the only uh, sort of official single that you have, the duo have released together since then. And this came about from a brass band doing a version of What Time Is Love. And uh, the duo wanted to do something with that and therefore incorporating it into this song which did chart. It got to number 28 in 1997, but uh, obviously not as big a hit. Uh, and you can kind of understand when you see that the song is round about 14 minutes long. It's an absolute epic. And, and that's kind of why I chose it today. It just, it honestly did blow my mind, this song. What are your thoughts on this one, Will? Um, I think it's everything in the kitchen sink is in there. Lots of throwbacks uh, and samples of their own work in there. There is also, Dan, a 22-minute version of this. Good Lord. I shall be hunting that one out. I know we like the extra length on track by track, but would you? could you take 22? I, yeah, I think I could take longer, Will. I'm surprised. <laughs> uh, but no, what a great way, what a great climax uh, to the episode. Now, I'd love to hear more from anyone out there who wants to share memories of KLF, more information, again, as I said at the start, far from an expert. I know uh, Peter Robinson from Pop Justice, huge fan, and did a brilliant Twitter thread 
uh, a while back talking about his uh, meeting uh, and interactions as a teenage superfan of the KLF. Uh, so I'd encourage you all to scroll back on his timeline to find that because it's fascinating reading. But please let us know your thoughts, experiences uh, and your opinions on the music as well. At Track by Track UK, please. Yes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do head to Apple Podcasts and give us a positive rating and review. And Dan, can you give us a hint of a tease as to who we're going to be talking about next on Track by Track? Next week, we are going to be celebrating the fifth anniversary of the debut album from a Norwegian pop star who has gone on to, uh, well, her voice is so iconic, it's gone on to star in a recent huge Disney film. Now, that's intriguing, Dan. I have to say, where I've been more of an expert this week, you're definitely more of an expert next week. Yes, taking turns this month on Track by Track. Oh, that's lovely. So... Until next time, I've been Tanny Winnett. And I've been Ricardo DeForce. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>